On today's Bet the Process podcast, we'll be talking about uh, week one college football games, looking at some futures bets, which ones have value with the teams that are in action this week, Florida and Florida, Florida State and Alabama and Ohio State um, and USC. Um, Rufus will be talking about where he sees value in that. We'll also be talking about whether it makes sense, as Bill Simmons says, to always take the points. And then we'll be talking again a little bit more about who we think is going to end up ruling the seven kingdoms. We'll do our markets in terms of make it or take it. And we'll finally give you some thoughts and ideas around NFL survivor picks for week one. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app, which is the best way for gamblers and sports gamblers to track what they're betting on and to see updated lines, etc. It's a really great app. It's free. And it's on the App Store, so go take a look at it. Sports action. Welcome to the inaugural edition of the Bet the Process podcast, which is the name we've come up with, and hopefully it will stick. Uh, we're two ex-ESPN predictive analytics experts. That's me and Rufus Peabody. Uh, we'll be talking about all the things that we weren't really allowed to talk about on ESPN. Uh, we spent collectively three years as ESPN's uh, predictive analytics experts, which I'm not even sure what that really means, uh, but it was sort of this cool made-up title that we came up with. And, uh, you know, I've had some experience as a professional gambler, as a professional blackjack player, had a movie and book made about me and and do a lot of sort of predictive analytics. Um, Rufus is obviously, uh, his reputation precedes him. He is arguably or inarguably one of the most successful sports gamblers of our generation um, and spent a year on ESPN as their predictive analytics experts. Um, And so, you know, would love to know what you want to accomplish with this pod, Rufus, what's the uh, what's your goal? You know, Jeff, I think our motivations are pretty similar. On ESPN, I wasn't really able to really delve deeply into some of the cognitive biases and things that sort of drive inefficiencies in sports betting markets, and that's kind of what I like about it. And I think our title, or our name for our podcast, Bet the Process, really is focuses largely on what I like talking about in the process of figuring out what is random, what isn't, and how to win at sports betting. All right. Well, with that, let's get into our first segment this week, which is always going to be this week in futures. And obviously, with no NFL games coming in this week until, I guess, next Thursday, uh, we want to talk about uh, college and look at the college futures. And obviously, week one is interesting because it really highlights, I guess I guess you could call it last week, week one, but there's only, what, four games or five games. This week is the one where the big boys are going to be playing. And if you look, four of the teams that are obviously in the top of the futures for odds to win the 2017 championship game are in action um, with Ohio State and Florida. Well, actually not Florida. I guess only three of them are, right? So we got Ohio State and Alabama um, and Florida State um, as teams that, you know, I have Alabama at about plus 250 to win it all. I have um, Ohio State at plus 600 and I have Florida State at about plus 900 is what I'm seeing. So 
you see any value in those three teams um, for for as futures to take, you know, to, to win it all? Believe it or not, I actually do. I, I, I like Ohio State there. I make Ohio State only plus 383, which seems insanely, like, high. I mean, it, but, and I, I have Alabama right where the market is, plus 350. By high, by high you mean actually low, right? As, right, as right, right. The probability, insanely right. high. And Florida State at, at 12 and a half to one. But I think that... Um, I mean, college football really is pretty unbalanced in that not a lot of teams have a, a real chance to win it each year. And so, you know, Alabama's made the championship game, it feels like, every year for the last, like, decade. And so, um, and Ohio State's, you know, they have um, they have a lot of guys coming back. They're, you know, a great program. And you know, I think that there's a, if, if they win the Big Ten, they have a really clear path into the playoff. Do you think that um, the playoffs have created a better opportunity for the favorites or a worse opportunity for the favorites? You know, that's an interesting question. And I'll sort of answer with an example. We, um, I had to rejigger the Massey Peabody simulation because now this year is the first year that the Big 12 has a conference championship game. And we thought, Kate and I, Kate Massey and I, thought that our odds on Oklahoma were going to be too high since, uh, or were too high initially before we rejiggered the sim. And, but actually, um, after we rejiggered it, and there is that conference championship game, um, Oklahoma State or Oklahoma's odds actually went up a little bit, or, or they had a, a, a greater chance of making the playoff because it gives them, you know, some sort of forgiveness. They can make it as a one-loss of another game to impress, and so I, I think that in a way it does help those favorites. Um, yeah. Do you think that? You know, there's not enough, quite enough data at this point to make a good sim for that, or you well, think that it's good? No, you're right. I think the the well, the difficult part of the sim isn't writing the sim or anything like that. The the, the difficult part is the modeling the decision making process of the committee, and so we don't have a ton of data. You're right. We we go by what they say, and we go by what they've um, been demonstrated to have done the last few years. But it really is sort of, um, it is a guessing game a bit, and there is uncertainty in there, and we're trying to model that uncertainty properly by sort of, um, we group teams according to tiers, and we sort of introduce a little bit of randomness in there within, like if there's two teams in like tier two, like, and only one of them is going to uh, make the playoff, you know, we sort of uh, randomly decide. And so, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's difficult, but at the same time, Odds makers are having to do this. The market's having to do this. Yeah. So the fourth team that is in action this week that I that I mentioned initially is USC, who are at what I'm looking at is about uh, plus 800, 8 to 1. Um, where do you have them? Oh, God. Way low. 28 to 1. I have wow. them as the number nine team in terms of probability of winning at all. Yeah. So is there any, do you have any sort of dark horses that you'd be interested in if I sort of put gun to the head? It sounds like, Ohio State no. would be the team with with the most value for you. Yes, for sure. And and I you know I found that there was value on Alabama earlier on in the spring when these odds came out. I think Alabama was priced in the plus three hundreds, and it, it was basically just you know value on the chalk, which is which is odd. But the odds dropped pretty steeply. Like I think I only have fifteen teams with odds better than a hundred to one, and in the market you're going to see a lot a lot more than that. Yeah, and that's where we get into this idea that futures bets are not necessarily the best bets because of the fact that they're not two-sided markets and these longer shots, you never really get the true odds in them. So it's interesting to see value 
on these top teams like Ohio State and, and to some to some extent Alabama, it sounds like you think that that price is relatively fair versus, you know, normally it, would, it seems like when you're in a situation where you're looking at favorites, you're probably going to give up a lot to get any uh, bet down on that favorite. But in this case, that doesn't seem like that's the case. No, not at all. You're right. It, it, it is. It's very unusual in my opinion. But what do you think? Where do you think that's coming from? It's just that people don't understand at this point, like how top heavy college is. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think it's also a very difficult process to model. Um, it's, but you do you do have a few programs that are there at the top every single year. It seems like no matter how many guys they lose, or I mean, they just they have ridiculously strong recruiting classes year after year, and great coaches. And it seems like at this point, like Alabama. By the way, Alabama has been the number one rated team in the Massey Peabody preseason ratings. Like every year for the last six years, I believe. That tells you something. Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, I think I think one of the other things, like if you look at these odds again, it's it's always nice to see or look at a long shot. Do you see any value in any of the long shots? I know you're saying that like you only have, you know, 15 teams or whatever that you think should be better than 100 to one. So so maybe there isn't any value there. Um, no, I don't. I don't see any really. It okay. seems like every team that I think have it, you know, forty-seven to one is twenty-two to one in the market, and every team I have it a hundred to one is like, you know, fifty to one. So, yeah, not what do what do you see there, Jeff? Uh, you know, I've heard some people talking about Oklahoma State as a as sort of an interesting dark horse. They're, you know, plus two six twenty-six fifty. So what what is that twenty-six or twenty-seven to one? That doesn't seem like very good value. Um, you know, I, I like the notion that. You know, these big teams, like all they basically need to do is, you know, win their division, right, obviously, or win their win their conference. So I definitely like Ohio State also and, and hearing what your numbers are supporting that at plus 600 because, you know, they're, they're basically going to come down to, you know, one or two games that they're going to have to win. And then, then with that win, they're going to be in really good shape to to get into the playoff. Um, but, you know, like I said, like, like I said, I don't see a ton of value. Um, here, I mean, one of the, one of the t- games teams that we talked about a little bit before was I think you have Auburn rated as your number five team. They're plus sixteen uh, seventy, so plus you know sixteen to one. Um, I don't know if that's good value. It doesn't seem like it. Um, no, twenty eight to one for me there. Twenty eight to one on that. How about how about like? But it's really really hard for the SEC. They, they, their schedule is tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's that seems. How about a team like Clemson? Obviously, coming back, defending champion. I have them at thirty to one on the. Uh, you know what the odds are saying. What what do you have them at? Actually, I do show some value there. I have them at uh, twenty one to one, and I think a lot of that. You know, they they, they lose to Sean Watson, and that's a big loss. And my model doesn't do a great job of discerning how good the you know quarterback they lost was. I, you know, I, I have a variable for lost quarterback, but. It, it's very difficult to rate college football players quantitatively, individually. It's, it's hard to rate NFL players quanti- individually, quantitatively as well. So, um, But yeah, I, I show some value there. By the way, okay. Oklahoma State, I make them 231 to 1. So, so I'll gladly book that bet if you want. I, I, don't, want, I don't want the uh, bet. That's like, that was actually something that the, the mainstream media people were saying i was listening to one of the i think espn podcasts or something and they were talking about oklahoma state as being this sort of trendy pick um you know obviously last year they had you know that that horrible i think we've, we've talked about that 
bad beat they had against Central Michigan uh, at uh, nauseam. Yeah. I mean, I, I know that uh, you lost something in that. I, I think I, that we had this the second half uh, under that didn't come in. Um, if anyone remembers that, that it was like the ultimate in bad beats. Um, they they threw the ball away on fourth and 10 or whatever, and the game should have been over, but the refs incorrectly called a penalty on them, which gave Central Michigan a chance for one last Hail Mary, which they um, completed and scored a touchdown on and you know ended up covering and um, pushing the second half over. So you know they're... they're they're kind of an interesting team because I think like people remember that and feel like they were snake bitten by that. And maybe there's just some narrative around this being their, their revenge, their revenge season or something. I don't know. So maybe, you know, with the Oklahoma state, like futures 26 to one does seem like horrible value given where you have them rated. And so maybe that is a early sign that like public perception on them or, or for some reason, whatever it is on them is overvaluing them. And, and maybe that'll be a, an opportunity to bet against them. Um, going forward um, in individual games where obviously you can't bet on them um, and, and see how quickly the market corrects. Um, but, you know, that's that's one thing, like, obviously that I like to keep an eye on to see that there are teams that tend to be a bit overrated by the market. And from, from what you're saying about their analytics, it, it sounds like they might be. Um, moving into sort of like the first week, obviously what we have is we have some of these teams playing against each other, which is obviously exciting. Florida State is playing against Alabama, and they are seven-point uh, underdog right now to Alabama. And, you know, if you listen to the Behind the Bets podcast that Chad Millman does with Bob Scucci, they, he talked about how they're not really seeing any sharp money yet on Florida State, uh, which is what they would expect to, and that he thinks that they might have to move that line to seven and a half to get money on Florida State. Do you see any value in, in that matchup? You know, I don't, I don't see any value at all. I make the line Alabama minus 7.3. What's interesting, and as I like looking at ESPN FPI and what they do, I think they actually do a very good job, especially early in the season. Um, they have they make that line only minus three, so uh, which which is interesting to me. But I, I, I'm gonna lay off the game personally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, again, we talk about the FPI ratings uh, from ESPN, and I think you give them a little bit more credence than I do. I, I'm definitely concerned about their predictive um, their predictive value. Um, certainly like we got into this in the NBA last year, um, with how overrated or underrated sort of, they thought that, I guess they, they thought the Cavs were overrated. Um, their ratings were certainly underrating the Cavs. Um, but, um, for that, for college, maybe, maybe it's better. Um, but again, like when a system like that was not necessarily built for gambling, it always worries me a little bit when we start using it for gambling purposes. But Jeff, um, it was built as a predictive system, just like Massey Peabody was, to forecast the point differential between two teams playing going forward, right? Right, but I mean, you guys have back tested what you've done around the market and spreads, and they don't incorporate sort of any of that stuff into into what they're doing. So I yeah. mean, I, I don't I don't know. It's it's yeah. sort of a silly argument for us to get into because like I don't know enough about what they're doing versus what you're doing, but I I'm just concerned like. If I see your number at seven and their number at three, I'm much more inclined to believe your number at seven than their number at three. That's nice of you, but here's the thing. And, and I know you gave uh, FPI a little bit of crap for for the Cavs last year, and it makes sense. It, it's it's hard for a quantitative model to know, especially in the NBA, to know that a team isn't really you know trying that hard in certain points, which I feel like is the case in the NBA. But the thing is, with any model, you're going to have times when it, it has a number that's 
pretty far off the market. And when some of these Twitter trolls come in and say, oh, like, don't believe this system is awful because like this number is minus seven, your number is minus 17, and the market's minus 10. Um, like, will you give me that bet at like, you know, plus 17? And I say this, like, yeah, my model isn't perfect or anything like that. And, and no model is, but the thing is a seven point, a seven point difference is pretty substantial. And if, if my number's minus 17 and the market's minus 10, I think the true number is probably going to be like minus 12 and a half, minus 13. The, I mean, the market does have a lot of information that my model doesn't. It's a quantitative, you know, rating system. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's fair. And I, I think, I guess what I'm more concerned about or what I was concerned about as far as the NBA was concerned was this concept that we do talk about, which is the process, right? And the process by which they were coming to these FPI ratings or whatever they call them for the Cavs were based on you know regular season numbers. It wasn't a bottoms-up model, meaning it wasn't modeling players individually. So there was no way that they could take into account that in the, in the playoffs that the rotations are going to be shortened, that like – players or will be getting more minutes that weren't that these are just generally different players than we're playing in the regular season. And I don't, I, th I think that that process inherently is wrong. Um, and to use that to predict, you know, the playoff success of a team. So for me, I it really just very, came down to the process. Yeah. And I think that's a very valid criticism right there. So, okay. So we also have Ohio state, uh, playing against Indiana and Ohio State is right now a, a 21 point favorite. Um, there was some talk again on Chad's pod that that this was, uh, you know, betting opportunity uh, on um, Indiana and that the sharps were all on Indiana. So where do you see um, that game and, and the value there? Well, I, I make the number minus 22, so I don't have a ton of value, but I I do think that the notion that these big underdogs are or the sharp side is has been sort of proven wrong in college football over the last 15, 16, 17 years. In fact, since 2000, favorites of 20 or more points have covered 51.8% of the time. And the funny thing is, if you, and if you go even higher, that number becomes uh, even larger. So that actually brings us to our second segment of the day, which is the fader aid segment. And that brings up an interesting point, right? Which is like, if you if you listen to a guy like Bill Simmons, we talked about this in the pod that none of you guys heard, so I'm not sure why we're referencing it. But um, he he talks about his gambling manifesto, and one of his lines is, when in doubt, and this is in quotes, when in doubt, always, always, always take the points. So there is this notion that, you know, the, the sharp money is always on the underdogs, and the house is always needing favorites, and the sharp money is always on unders and the house is always, you know, the, the overs is, is what the popular people or the, you know, the, the recreational betters bet. Um, let's talk a little bit about just these biases. If there are historical biases there, if there is a way to sort of blindly bet on one side or the other and, and beat VIG. I mean, do you think that those, those are universal truths? Would you agree with Bill Simmons and his statement that you should always take the points? You shouldn't always take the points, but I think it's smart advice for a recreational gambler. It's you're, you're going to lose a lot less if you take the points every time than if you lay the favorite. Um, you think that's true in all sports, or do you think that that is uh, less true in other sports? Because you, you, know, you obviously mentioned college football. It's been shown to be less true in college football, I think. But still, even if you, if you look at all favorites since 2000, favorites have covered only 49.8% of the time. Now, this whole thing that the Sharps are always on the underdog, like, or always on the under, while they're on, un while they're on underdogs in 
unders more often than favorites and overs. Definitely not every time. I mean, the underdog's only winning, you know, covering the spread a little over 50%, not nearly enough to make a profit. So I think it's a very simplistic narrative to create. Um, that said, you know, since there is that bias in the market, it, it I would like personally, I'm on underdogs substantially more than I am on favorites. Do you have but any idea say, what that number is for me? Yeah, I'd say uh, it, it really varies from sport to sport, but I would say in something like college football, maybe 60, 40 in something like major league baseball, it's more like, I think this year might've been like, I think about 70% of my money was on underdogs and 30% was on favorites this year. In baseball. In baseball. I, I track that. It's interesting. In baseball, obviously, um, I know just from talking that there, for, to you that, that there is a point where you stop betting baseball. Is there any reason for that? That I know you're not betting baseball presently. No, I'm not. I, I can't seem to win after the All-Star break, to be quite honest. And yeah, I, I've done a lot of research on this. Um, the two weeks before and two weeks after the All-Star break, things are quite different predictably. And if you look at, I've looked at my returns in that time, and they're like negative 7% and like plus, and the rest of, basically the rest of the year is like plus 7%. So I think um, it's hard to incorporate the fact that teams get on, players on losing teams can get mentally drained. And the season's basically over for them. And also you have a lot, um, well, come September too, you have a lot more, um, sort of you have a lot more minor league players playing minute or playing minutes. seems like you have a lot more lineup a lot more lineup uh like uncertainty and then with the lineups that they do put out there with these minor league players it seems much harder to project out what they're going to do because you have much less uh, certainty around their performance it's true and managers aren't always managing to win the most games in, in september they're trying to give guys a shot and see what they have develop players and the well, other there, thing- also, there also is incentive actually for them not to win right because based on based on yeah based on well not just draft but also there is there i think there's some free agent rules if you finish in the bottom third where you can sign guys or something like that and you don't have to give up compensation there, there's like a big incentive to finish in the bottom third um, of the league, we'd have to look that up, but that's definitely something that you know, as a gambler in September, you should be looking at because, like you said, some of these players are like tanking in Major League Baseball does not get nearly the publicity that it does in the NBA, but I think it definitely happens. I don't think play. I mean, I think is it from an organizational perspective, yes, teams do tank, um, like the Astros, but they're not trying to lose individual games or not giving it their best shot, really, but. From an organizational perspective, they are not putting the best product they could on the field in order to make a better product in the future. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't think that anyone's not trying on the field. That's not the, that's not the insinuation. The insinuation is that they're not going to necessarily put out the best people into the game, whether it's relievers and or, um, you know, the people that are starting the games. Like sometimes in September, you're going to see these lineups where you're just like, holy crap who are all these guys and why why is mike trout not playing or something like that and you have a good point with that and the same and and here's one part that doesn't get the same amount of attention is bullpen usage too you're going to have a lot more unknown guys getting getting um innings in the bullpen so back to sort of what this segment was about and we talked a little bit about favorites versus underdogs what about totals like over overs versus unders um is there a big bias there like what what do you see there Oh, there's there's definitely a bias there as well, and I think that bias in, in sort of the smaller markets, like the prop markets, is is even more exaggerated. 
Although I think as By the prop markets, give me an example of a prop. Um, Tom Brady over under 26 completions, something right. like that. So like the popular trendy picks like that, that are fun, you know, like big name players and individuals that everyone's going to look for them to go over. Cause it's, that's just where, and those markets are probably a little bit more limited. So you could, you could get pretty biased based on like a few, a few positions. People love betting on things to happen. Right. Professionals more often are betting on the most boring game ever. That's when I watch the Super Bowl, I want nothing to happen generally. <laughs> well, you have tend to have a lot of prop bets on the uh, in the Super Bowl, I know. And I know that, you know, when things like two point conversions are converted and safeties happen and that kind of thing, I, I tend to think that's not usually good for your portfolio. Ouch. Yeah, th- those those hurt. Yeah. Did you? And, have, and everybody uh, was talking about like, oh, it must have been crazy. It must have like gotten killed with that Atlanta or with that New England comeback last year. But nothing really too crazy happened. And as a result, it was a really good Super Bowl. Yeah, I also I also bet overs on James White. Well, that, the, the few that guys I bet overs on came through. I feel like in general it's going to be like eighty five fifteen, maybe unders and overs for Super Bowl props for me. But but occasionally I bet the over. So going I back. Uh, I will say that the markets markets get more efficient. And I remember when I moved to Vegas in 2008, I bet so many unders on props, and the numbers seemed so far off. And now it, it seems like the market is much, much more efficient. And I think that's similar for all across sports. You could bet every favorite, I'm sorry, every underdog in the NFL in the 1980s and have turned a profit. You could have bet every home underdog in Major League Baseball um, at the pinnacle closing line. Uh, in the 2000s, in ter- 2000 to 2009, and turned a small, small profit. I don't think you're going to see biases like that uh, persist. Yeah, I think that people just have too strong of uh, analytics tools and databases now that they didn't used to have. And so, like you said, the markets are definitely becoming more efficient. So if we go back to just the original reason to tie this up on the fader rate, it sounds like there was a point where it seemed like the best thing to do was take the points and be uh, take the underdogs, but maybe that that time has passed, and blindly doing that is certainly not a winning strategy um, over time. Uh, we actually should rehash our make it take it from our first pod. Now that you are you caught up on Game of Thrones, now I hope I am caught up in Game of Thrones. Okay, so now we can make a proper market on who's going to rule the Seven Kingdoms. I think last week when we talked about it, you were very big on uh, you know Jon Snow being the favorite. I was big on um the the night king um has your opinion changed at all uh you know the night king looks stronger but uh, it hasn't really changed now so you would you would take uh john snow down to minus 200 john snow slash Aerys targaryen right it's fine you get Um, either yes i would i would still take him as i still think he should be he should be uh minus money i think so the night the Night King's looking a little stronger, and and you know George R. R. Martin, like he has been known to kill off protagonists. You you know who the new sort of dark horse to me is a little bit is Arya. I just huh. I don't know why. I feel like somehow she could be the last one standing. I mean, maybe I not like I don't I don't see her as a ruler, but like somehow I I don't even know how we're defining winning. But you so you like her maybe as a dark horse in the you know plus ten plus. You know, ten to one plus a thousand kind of range. Oh, you could oh, probably no, get good value, value on her. You you want longer I, odds would, than that? It would, yeah, yeah. I I I think there's only a few people that have legitimate chances. 
So this is very similar to the college football where, you know, you yeah. have Jon Snow is your Alabama. And for me, the Night King is maybe my uh, like USC or something like that, because, you know, that, you know, obviously that's a uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to make the analogy of evil versus good or whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I think we got we got some interesting. Uh, and then where would you put Danny? Where do you think she is on this? She's she's sort of like maybe your Ohio State or something. I don't know. Like, what happens if Danny and and John rule together? Yeah. Who wins then? Do you have to pay off both sides? I don't know. That seems like one of those things that like Bovada or something like that would find a way to get out of paying uh-huh. you back. So, what um, do you think, Jeff? What do you think of Cersei now and the whole Cersei Jamie thing? Well, I think Cersei. What does that do to her odds? I think. I think her odds are now all right. It's they, they definitely have shifted more in her favor because if she is not going to fight the Night King and let those guys basically kill each other, I think she's come up with a, a pretty good strategy. You know, she's she's basically um, going to sit around and, and, you know, win the Eastern Conference and, and rest. She's like the Cleveland Cavaliers. She's going <laughs> to sit back and try to stay away from any real conflict and then hopefully end up, um, you know, becoming, you know, going to the conference champ or going to the NBA championship well rested and and with, you know, hopefully able to take on a, you know, a a depleted uh Jon Snow or depleted Night King. Um I think I think that's her angle and she's she's obviously resting LeBron right now and resting Kyrie and, you know, resting Kevin Love. So that's yeah, my I analogy. think I think if George R R Martin has the bad guy win, I think it's more likely it's Cersei than the Night King in a way. The Night King that's, is just too, eh, That's probably know. true. So maybe Cersei's now moved up to, you know, like five to one plus 500 plus 600, something like that from when, when last week she was probably over 10 to one. But what about Bran? And maybe Bran is somehow the Night King or something. Who knows? Like, there could be some weirdness in there. Yeah, Bran, is, Bran is just very confusing generally. Like, I don't know yeah. who he is, if he's a raven or if he's what he is. All right, let's move on to our final segment of the day, which is to tackle NFL Survivor. And obviously, when you talk about NFL Survivor, the problem with it is that I think that it depends a lot on the size of the the pool that you're in. Um, You have some situations where um, if you're in a larger pool, um, the goal is not just to survive. Like if you listen to Doug Kazarian on the Behind the Bets podcast on ESPN, he will always talk about the goal being to survive. But he's wrong, right? The goal is to win uh, Survivor. And really, there's three things that you think about um, when you pick your Survivor pick. One is going to be the actual safety value of the pick, which is what most people, I think, are focused on. And, and you can look at that as a, uh, the money line or as the point spread as a proxy for that. Um, the next is future value, which is basically how much value does this team have in the future for you, assuming you only get to use one each team once. Like, how, who do these guys play later on? Is there going to be a time when they are a better opportunity for you. And the way you can look at that is by looking at the schedule ahead of that team. Um, and then the final thing is obviously popularity, because if it doesn't make sense for you to take the most popular pick in your pool because of sort of game theory where you want to, you know, if, if that team loses, you want to be able to reap the benefit of them losing because of their popularity. And you don't want to be in a situation where you are on a very popular team if you are trying to win some of these bigger pools. Um, any thoughts there before we jump into sort of who we want like in week one? No, I agree. And I think the the difficulty for someone like Doug Kazarian or people like us that are trying to give advice on this is that if you 
you know, by by giving out a big favorite, you sound smart most of the time because most of the time that team wins. Versus if your your play is kind of a ballsy pick, like I don't know Tennessee or something, you know, it's a lot more likely they lose. And you know, you, you, I think there's a there's a cognitive bias there. People would rather win, would rather take one big loss um, every so often and win um, more often. Yeah, I mean, there's this idea of, yeah, I mean, that's Vegas, like da- Vegas you, Dave syndrome. Let's call it that. Yeah, I mean, you want to give a quick highlight on? Oh, I mean, we should God. probably save to Vegas Dave for our fader aid segments because he'll probably be he'll, the poster child for them. But you can well, talk a little bit about him. I'm happy he, to have you. Chat he might about be in that. jail by then. <laughs> Isn't he? he wasn't he charged with? Uh, He's charged with like using a false, nineteen fraudulent, yeah, fake yeah. social security numbers. Yeah, that guy's 123 and four in baseball. So yeah. he's just so amazing. But but his losses are all like 45 unit losses or something like that because he, he does, does a Martin. He does Martin Gill, right? Yeah, he does yeah. Martin Gill. So what Martin Gill means is like it, it's like if you were flipping a coin and if it was heads, you know, you win. If it's tails, you lose. If if you lose, his his premise is that you double the bet the next time and keep doubling it until you win. The problem with that is when you do lose and, and end up losing, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to at times you're going to cap out whatever your bankroll is or whatever the limits are on a game. So it's not a long term. It's like mathematically proven to be long term a losing situation. And people that do Martingale generally are like I, you know, you you know they don't aren't real gamblers and they don't really understand math. And so like having a guy that's selling picks and doing a Martingale system seems uh, a bit problematic. No, it's it's simple. You know, if you have a bunch of bets that are each negative expected value, there's no way of packaging them together so that you have a pos- positive expected value portfolio. It just doesn't work that way. Now, he, I think his thing is basically saying that these um, big favorites are unlikely to get swept in a series. Now, if he thinks that's a market inefficiency, um, yeah, it's not really. <laughs> I guess he goes. That goes against what uh, what Simmons and and uh, Chad Millman were saying in a way. Yeah. I mean, see, and, that's why I'm saying Simmons and Chad like and Chad Millman are are better than Vegas Dave. I mean, because what their advice there is actually it's not a very high bar, right there. No, but I'm saying they're they're helping a recreational gambler in a way. Because, yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think any. I think my problem with the the statements is just this general notion that there is any sort of like carte blanche simple statement that will make you win and and anyone that's tried to beat you know sports betting knows that that's not true like and the notion that like you can get people reared up and like i would say that in some respects you know chad and 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 bill even though their intentions are good it they're they're just as bad because they are making things seem simpler than they really are and this is like a very complicated thing to try to beat. Like if you are really going to put real money into this, you need to understand this like from an anal- like the, someone like you who, you know, has a background in this academically and has spent time actually working in the business. Like you are a rare breed of someone that can beat this 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 stuff. And it's not it doesn't come from saying like I'm going to universally bet underdogs or I'm going to universally bet overs or unders. No, but interestingly enough, I think part of it comes from a simple framework, thinking about things in a framework, in an organized, simple framework, and then you add layers of complexity, but still. Um, but that you're right, that's very different than making blanket statements about certain types of bets. Yeah. All right, let's move on to uh, week 
the survivor picks, um, you know, we talked about this on our last pod. I think the Steelers get, you know, nine point favorites against the Browns are going to be very popular. And now, um, now, now they have Joe Hayden. There you go. Joe Hayden's a good cornerback and cornerbacks are pretty important. Uh, you have Caroline as a six point favorite over the somewhat undervalued 49ers. I think you have the Falcons at six and a half point favorites over the bears. Uh, you have the Patriots seven and a half point favorites over the chiefs. Um, I like the bills over the jets. I'm not seeing a line there right now. I don't know if it's off. Um, it's off in the, the book that I'm looking at right now, but I, I, that's, that's an, it's an interesting one for me because I don't see the bills having that much future value as, you know, more future value, I guess, than, than a game against the jets at home. Um, right, I you have Ty, Tyrod Taylor's in the concussion protocol. Oh, that, that's why it's, uh, That'll change that's it. why it's off. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, so that one, obviously we'll have to keep an eye on. Um, but I definitely would take stay away from, for me, I'd stay away from Pittsburgh. Um, I don't think I would take the Patriots, obviously, because they have a lot of future value. Um, I'd keep an eye on Buffalo. We probably have a, another week to discuss this um, on next week's pod. We can come up with real answers. But at least this is sort of like how I think through Survivor. Um, you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I actually, the team I would probably take is Tennessee here. And that's sort of a surprise pick there. Um, yeah. Well, that line has already shifted to uh, Tennessee minus two. It was even last week. So I don't know if the pod that we talked about where no one listened to it really influenced the uh, the lines. But we did say last week that we like Tennessee at even. And unfortunately, now it's now Tennessee minus two is what I'm seeing. Maybe it's just because I bet on Tennessee. Is it? Could be. We know you do move markets. Um, I don't think I move NFL markets that much, though. Uh, I've seen you move NFL markets, I think. I really, I, I do think you have moved NFL markets. Um, I don't think I was at the end of last season after after the dumpster fire of a season the Massey Peabody had. Well, at least it wasn't on ESP. Oh, wait, it was on ESP. Oh, yeah, exactly. It was in, okay. <laughs> All right, so just to recap today, uh, we have some interesting uh, takes on things. Um, Rufus sees some value on Ohio State plus 600 or whatever you can get on them over probably what plus 400 you see some value I would guess if you have them at plus three something yeah um and then we talked a little bit about uh the trend that's changed a bit um with uh the markets becoming more efficient and no longer able to just take uh underdogs and also we have um an interesting dark horse uh on Game of Thrones which is Cersei Lannister um being potentially now value as she rests her players and prepares for the ultimate fight. And from a survivor standpoint, um, Rufus has sort of a dark horse in Tennessee and I'm going to keep my eye on Tyrod Taylor's concussion protocol and hope for the best. Um, so that's, uh, the second episode of bet the process. Uh, Rufus, you have any last parting words for the listeners? I was going to say Jim Caldwell might have some advice for Cersei Lannister. <laughs> Don't uh, do it. Don't rest your players. Yeah. Yeah. And again, uh, this this podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action um, uh, app. Uh, we're trying to get better verbiage on what they want us to say about it, but it's a really great app to check odds and to track your bets and whatnot. Um, and it's it's there, it's coming a long way. Um, and it's it's becoming the app that I use the most now uh, to track games live. So and Jeff, you turned me on to it. And I think it's fabulous. It's a fabulous app. Yeah, it's it's it, he's they've come a long way. Brian Mead is the founder of the company. He's obviously a friend of mine. In full disclosure, 
but he's done a really nice job, and I'm I'm probably one of his biggest critics when it comes to this app. So you know, I think everyone should check it out and and spend some time on it and and really give them feedback. It's free to use. Um, they do have some premium services, but it's free to use the actual app itself. And you know, it's he's just trying to build it for sports better. So you you know, I think any voice that he hears will will be very uh, will be very welcome. And you can follow Rufus at at Rufus Peabody, and you can follow me at Jeff Ma on. Uh, Twitter. So hopefully you guys like this and would love any feedback from you, good or bad. Um, would prefer not to be trolled if possible, but would love uh, any feedback from you guys. So thanks, and we'll talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.